Well, uh, welcome to the show this afternoon. Uh, my guest is Richard Hayhow. Is that right? Yeah, you got that right first time, brilliant. I always call you Hayho, you see. Hayho, no, 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 Hayhow. Hey and I think, uh, I think Cathy and Sue from the Shice has corrected me repeatedly. Right, so, OK. <laughs> so you had difficulty finding Wolverhampton? No, I knew what Wolverhampton was. I just got stuck in roadworks uh, just when I thought everything was going really well and I'd be here in plenty of time. Well, one song in, I think you did fantastic. That was fantastic timing. So uh, what, what shall we talk about? You, you, you're a legend in the region, oh. aren't you? <laughs> Am I? You are indeed. <laughs> Thank you. And that was for setting up the shysters. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I've I've done a lot of work with people with learning disabilities before that in Worcester and various other places, but the Shysters was the kind of coming together of it all and the, the fruition and the creative... And the Shysters is of, a theatre company of people with learning disabilities. Uh, actors with learning disabilities. Actors. The actors with learning disabilities, definitely. Actors yeah. with learning disabilities. Yeah. And when did you do that then? Um, it was formally set up in 1997, although the work in some ways began as early as 1990. Mm -hmm. But the formalisation of it into a, a professional theatre company happened in 1997. And so what was your background then? How did you get into that? Um, Are you an actor? Actor. No, I ain't an actor. <laughs> um, <laughs> I went to university. You should not be talking like that. You could be an EastEnders. Well, I could. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Well, I do come from London originally. Um, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, talk about that later. Uh, I, uh, I went to university after doing maths and physics A-level and fell into doing drama. And from maths and physics, it's a logic. And it's, it's, it's a logic. There's a logic there. So um, it was like a bit like the Smirnoff advert, if you remember that. That uh, having discovered drama, I discovered a whole new way of living. <laughs> and so then I got. Into you mean there was more sex in acting rather than <laughs> physics and maths? Maths. <laughs> I wouldn't. Why have you gone all red? Why have I gone red? I don't know. Because um, I could tell you a few stories, I suppose. <laughs> well, I'm not going to. Um, but but kind of thought, well, if if drama can do this for me then maybe it could do it for a lot of other people and so I never went into the the strictly professional theatre route I went into community theatre mm -hmm. uh, set up a community arts centre in Worcester with my wife uh, Jane uh, in 1976 god forbid <laughs> goodness me uh, and I was ran still in school <laughs> for 14 years worked there uh, running all sorts of drama classes with uh, sessions with all sorts of groups uh, but began to work in about 1980 with people with learning disabilities in a local, what were called uh, SECs, social education centres. ATC. A no, ATCs became SECs. Did they? Yeah, I think uh, so. I'm still or the other way around. Whichever ATCs. way. Whichever way. <laughs> AT, uh, adult training centres. ATCs is what yeah, I Yeah, adult training centres or social education centres. Commonly known as day centres. Day centres, yeah. So developed work there with people with learning disabilities over many years. Um and then kind of began to specialise, I suppose, in that area of work. Although, on the other hand, I was doing a lot of community, large-scale community plays, like involving casts of hundreds. And when you say you were doing, what were you doing? Directing. Directing. <laughs> no, no wonder you bypassed acting. Yes. You went straight for the megalomania. Oh, straight for the megalomania and the money, <laughs> because a director's life is slightly more assured than an actor's, uh, and you can diversify as a director. So, but uh, my love is is working with people, working with people. Full and stop. so, did you try? What was your training? What was your training? My training. Well, it was it was three years of a university training, which which gave me a good solid background, if you like, but didn't give me any clues as to how to mm. run a drama 
drama session. So and where did you go to university then? What university? Aberystwyth. Aberystwyth, University of Wales, Aberystwyth. That's legendary in Aberystwyth. Uh, yes. <laughs> About all. Yes. Uh, but I had a great time there, and I'm not going to knock it, because it was a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't a training for a career. It, it was a wonderful experience that set me up for what I... I wouldn't be if I were, hadn't gone there. I wouldn't be doing what I you do don't now. Sit back and wish. Oh, how I wish I'd done maths and physics at degree level and was now an astronomer. Mm, <laughs> no, I still have a lot of. I mean, I read a lot of books about physics and maths, and, and maths is very good when you're doing budgets for plays and running a company and all that kind of stuff. So it helps, but there's no way. No I thought way. English lit, i.e., being able to write creatively and fantasy, would be good for writing budgets and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Creative accountancy, we do a lot of. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so you're from London originally then? I was born in Leightonstone. Leightonstone? Leightonstone, So yeah. is that almost a Cockney? Virtually, yeah. Virtually. My grandmother liked to think she was a Cockney. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, so we're just a couple of Southerners invading the Midlands. Where are you from then? I'm from Surrey. Surrey, oh, right. But my mother was from East Ham. So, East Ham, you know, right, okay. so Manor yeah, Park. So. Yeah. But I was brought up in Kent, really, so I can't... Whereabouts really... in Kent? Um, near Canterbury. Near Canterbury. Yes. Well, down into the, yeah, the yeah, wilderness. Yeah. The yeah, into... England's garden. Yeah, yeah. So hot picking in the summer and all yes, that kind of stuff. Yeah, did that. You're no, a cliche. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> We're all cliches in yes. our own way. Mm. And so at what it was going to university that got you out of London in the south? It was actually, yeah, because I can remember thinking, and um, God forbid uh, that my mother would ever hear me say that, I remember thinking when I was applying to university, I'll go to the one which is the furthest away <laughs> from Kent. <laughs> and you meant that in time, culture and everything, and uh, Wales was an obvious choice. Well, uh, I applied to a couple in Scotland, and but Wales was the one who got back first, and I said, like, okay, I'm going there. <laughs> so, yes. So explain what you did in your degree then. How did that... What, why was that such a wonderful experience? Um... Well, it was, it's funny enough, it's a degree in drama and education because you couldn't do single honours drama at the time. Um, so uh, it, it, was, it was an opening up experience. It made me just realise there were other things in life. And it, and it taught me about myself because you, it taught me how to express myself. And you did all so, those theatre games. And, yeah, there, know, was a, there was a lot of experimental kind of stuff going on. It was in the sort of mid, well, no, early 70s. So it was 70s. quite free and easy in that sense. <laughs> I'm not talking what you're thinking. I'm talking about drama. And... <laughs> Uh, there was a lot of um, exciting Welsh theatre going on, particularly in Cardiff, Cardiff Laboratory Theatre. Uh, and there's a, there was a playwright called UNESCO. I don't know if you've heard of him. Ian, uh, yeah. Eugene UNESCO, who actually came over because we did a production of The Chairs. And so it was a very exciting time. And we were the first year. The drama course had just been set up. So we were the first year. Nobody knew how to run the course. So we, we had a free reign for three years, really, to create the course. And so, you know, I did everything to do with theatre, acting, mm. directing, stage management, lighting, everything. It was a really, really solid sort of great fun course. <laughs> and so did you have lessons or lectures with Ian Esco? Yeah. Uh, no, he came and talked to us. I don't want to say he gave us a lecture. He just talked. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and he came and saw our production and was really chuffed with it. Which was so, great. so you were often doing kind of experimental <clears throat> theatre kind of yes. things, the kind of stuff that now doesn't get put on anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and most of those Welsh companies you're talking about have gone, I suspect. I think kind of laboratory theatre is still around still in are. some form or other. There are, I mean, there, no, I mean, there are a lot of experiments. They're not mainstream and they don't, um, 
you know they don't pull in big audiences um uh, but it was also the time of where studying Pinter and Beckett and all those up and coming in those days writers you know which I love those plays but I wouldn't ever put them on because uh, there's no audience for them <laughs> <laughs> really probably a wise move that's why the creative budgeting is very yes. good yes and, and so what kind of plays do you like now kind of commercial plays mainstream plays the Beckett's and the because yeah, Beckett's quite popular and Pinter, yeah. they're, they're in London in, yeah in certain places I mean I I I like a good Shakespeare, I suppose. Do you? I like a good Shakespeare. <laughs> um, oh, you traitor to the Cockney cause. No, I like a no, good no, Shakespeare. No, no, because I, I love the words in Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I suppose, to be honest, I like I do still like experimental theatre, like Knee High and um, some of the other companies around, that, that companies that are t- kind of trying to do things in a different way. Mm. I, I'm not really a script person. I get quite easily bored listening to scripts. Mm. Being so there isn't a playwright stage. like now, and you you heard you've got a new play out. You think I must go and see that? No, not since Shakespeare's no. dead. No, no. Every time he brings that one up, <laughs> I can see that. Get a new one out, but that's not going to be. So do, do you go to Stratford and see Shakespeare at all much? No, because you, you must live down there. I live near Worcester, Worcester, and that's I travelled to Coventry. Most that's that's it. So is via Stratford. It is it? via Stratford, but I never call in. <laughs> 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 I'd love to, but you know, there's a, there's a bit of kind of you do theatre all day, every day. You don't actually want to go into the theatre at night. So you eat a lot and go to the eat cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, uh, I suppose. Yeah. And so you then moved. What was your first jobs then when you when you left university? Was, um, or did you just get straight married and then set up thinking? N- no, I didn't get married straight away. Jane and I were at university together, which is where we met, and we. Jane lived in Worcester and I lived in Kent. Mm. And uh, so then there was a question of, well, how do we... (laughs) It was a (laughs) no-brainer. So I moved up to Worcester. There was this guy who'd set up a a kind of studio, an artist's studio uh, in Worcester and said, oh, fancy a bit of drama down here. So like mugs, we went along and spent uh, four years voluntarily setting it up, developing it. Eventually got some Arts Council funding uh, and then, I don't know, six... Six years on, seven years on, we managed to get salaries for people working there. Uh, had a rebuild, got a massive rebuild done, which um, Jane raised a load of money for, and it became Worcester Arts Workshop. Um, excellent, excellent. Which is still going to this day. It's still going to this day. To this day. Yes. <laughs> That's impressive. That's impressive. And so, when did you start getting involved in people with learning disabilities? Um, I went. Uh, I went to back to training in London at the drama studio. I did a year's directing course because I thought I've been doing all this directing and I don't really know what I'm doing because I was never trained as a director. So I went and did a year's course um, uh, in 1982, came back, uh, and then that was when I started working with a huge variety of groups and one in particular was the group of people with learning disabilities at Perryfields Social Education Centre in Worcester. So that was 93, uh, ni- sorry, 83, 84 was when I first started, yeah. And so how different is that as an experience, working with learning disabled actors to other work that you've done? Um, on some levels, it's exactly the same. On others, it's completely different. And I think the the difference is, I mean, whatever group you work with, you you if you're 
sensitive and you're working with people and you're interacting with people, you learn how to work with people, whoever they are, in whatever way. I think for me, what what I can still remember uh, in Perryfields having the time of my life, literally falling on the collapsing on the floor in laughter, with about six of the the, the group that I was working with. We we just had such a fabulous time, and and that for me was the key was going. If I can have this this sort of time with people, then this is where I want to be. This is the kind of work I want to do because it's not about serious, heavy theatre making in that sense. It's about uh, having a great time and in that process making good theatre, I suppose. So that was the best time I had in all of those um, groups I was working with. So I thought this is where... Uh, I want to be, so it kind of, kind of carried so on. So, what did it. you do to, to to veer yourself towards that? Did you try and set up a theatre group? Or oh yeah, or in um, from Perryfield, we set we set up a, a company called Other Voices, uh, which again is still going now. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, uh, so that was the first time, and we we went on tour. We did Sweeney Todd. Uh, which was quite adventurous because we were told how you can't uh, talk about dead things or dead people if you're working with people with learning disabilities. And, of course, I thought, well, why not? (laughs) Let's do a play about Sweeney Todd and explore what death is. Mm. So we did. Uh, And we took that on tour, which was the first... I think it was the first play I took on tour. But I'd done a lot of work with mixed um, groups so that there was a group from Perryfields and an adult drama group and maybe a youth theatre group that we all worked I brought them all together to work and so we did a production of the mysteries Jonah and the Whale and various other bits and pieces but they were all devised pieces essentially we never worked from scripts maybe a story but not mm. from scripts mm. and so so what when you said it, it's it's the same and it's different what are the bits that are the same um the 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 process is fundamentally about finding out who the person is mm-hmm. allow uh, releasing um whatever you might call it creativity express self expression uh, allowing energy to flow out in whatever way and then finding the the best way that that communicates to an audience now that's the very basic process for me about making theater with anybody with anybody um and as I said, if you if you are completely aware of who you're working with, then that process is always the same. How it manifests is obviously different because people are different and so on. But essentially, it's the same process, whether you're working with a group of probation clients, which I used to do, or uh, an adult drama group or a youth theatre group or whatever group it is you're working with, you're trying to, to find something of the essence of that person and find a way to release that and for them to express it and then to to kind of shape it in that sort of directing manner into a way that effectively communicates to an audience. And what's the difference? Um, The difference is that with people with learning disabilities, uh, and this this is as much about what excites me about creativity and theatre making is that with people with learning disabilities you are constantly put in a different place to where you think you might be and that is exciting that's risk taking that's for me is is at the heart of creativity so you go in in a room and you think 
okay, I'm, I'll try this. And by the end of the day, you're in a completely different place because mm-hmm. of the way uh, people have responded to what you've asked them to do or what you've set up or an idea that you've thrown in or whatever. So it's, it's the, st- the stimulus to creativity that I find the most exciting. So on that basis, you'd agree then it's not for everybody, every director, because I always think of a lot of the theatre people have a very clear view of what they want and where they want to mm, go with it. Yeah, and yeah. so it wouldn't be for them, would it? It depends who them are, <laughs> I suppose. But no, but I, but I, think, I think one of the things that's not recognised enough in theatre generally <coughs> is the variety of ways of making theatre and therefore that some people are much better suited to that kind or that kind and some actors are much better suited to that sort of play or that sort of play there's there's a huge variety and i don't think we 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 kind of have this thing in i don't know whether it's an english thing or whatever that that an actor is an actor is an actor and and can do any job sort of thing but i don't think that's true i think there are different kinds of actors different kinds of directors and different kinds of theaters theater plays production so how would you describe yourself as a director Um, gosh Uh, in I think in if you're working in the kind of fields that I've worked in you flexibility is an enormous asset to be able to be completely uh, like a non-presence in the room sometimes to being totally in command (laughs) But to be able to know which which is the most appropriate at which time, I think that's that's one of the biggest things that's that you have to do. Um, and a little story about that illustrates that. So I, I did a uh, a community play on a housing estate in Worcester, <coughs> where twenty five percent of the cast were known to the police. Uh, <laughs> so in Worcester, I don't believe it. That's true. And so we had to tread very carefully about how we work with people because you don't go in and tell people what to do in that situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, after working for three months to get this play on, we did a, a run-through, and it was, a, it was um, a dreadful run-through, absolutely appalling mm-hmm. run-through. And at the end of it, I was so <laughs> uptight. Uh, I stood up and talked for 15 minutes to this cast of 100 people from this housing estate. Uh, and I kept thinking, there's something wrong. There's something wrong in this atmosphere. And then at the end of it, I realised that what was wrong was that they were all listening to me. (laughs) Because I was telling them what to do. And by the time we got to the technical rehearsal, which was in the Swan Theatre, I was actually shouting at them and saying, get off the stage now, do that. And I just thought, three months ago, I couldn't have done that. But that's the process where you cannot, you have to be quite a few different things Mm -hmm. relate in different ways to people during the process of of putting a play on I suppose. So the idea of creativity (laughs) is very important to you. Yeah. Why? Why should we we be creative? Are are we all naturally creative? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. uh, I think uh, uh, yes, we're all we are all, we all have the possibilities of being creative. We don't necessarily have the possibility of being if you take this profession of being an actor mm-hmm. who can be a professional and communicate to an audience that's a different thing but we can certainly all be creative and i think uh creativity is the is is the key to discovering who you are to put it philosophically or whatever you like uh, and, and and 
for me that relates very clearly to the work I'm doing in special schools at the moment, which is is that the the release and the discovery of each of those child's creativity has had an enormous impact on their learning and development in all areas of their work at school, not just in their drama work. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I just that's that's how I see things. I so suppose. I can imagine some of my listeners thinking, oh, he's a <laughs> liberal, lefty, kind of 60s hippie kind of bloke. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you're, you're, you're obviously the, uh, the kind of person that would... Uh, <clears throat> you can have a good cough if you want. <laughs> I've turned your microphone off so they can't hear you coughing uh, so uh, you would believe in that virtually for every every citizen really shouldn't you from yeah. naught yeah. to naught to death definitely yeah and I just uh, one of the things I have said this a bit so excuse me if you've he- heard this before that when I when I first started in the arts there was a huge sports for all campaign mm across the the country and I have always felt there should be an arts rule campaign which is about putting creativity at, at the centre of of what every what education's about what everything is about so yeah I do really really believe that so we've got uh, Richard Hay Howe <laughs> in the studio with us most commonly known in the region for setting up the shysters so tell us about the process of setting up the shysters when did you do that you asked me that before, 97. Did I? Yeah. Um, what um, happened was... How did it evolve? That's how did it I mean. evolve? How did it um, evolve out of your community work? Uh, because um, the Belgrade Theatre began to do... Good com- job, you're listening. Yes. <laughs> 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 the, the, the Belgrade Theatre began to do community plays, mm-hmm. uh, which is obviously where... Uh, and I went over as a consultant, would you believe? You see, that's how you diversify as a director. You consult as well. So I was a consultant on, on their first community play, which happened in 1990. And in uh, as part of that, uh, there, were, there were some people with learning disabilities involved, and from that was set up Fountain Theatre, which was basically a kind of one one night a week company that met and uh, put on plays occasionally and I got involved in working with them and then probably in about 95, 96 there were a few of those actors with learning disabilities who started to say we want to do this more full time we're watching all these people on the, the main stage at the Belgrade doing things and we want to be on there doing things so the Belgrade which is all to their credit, took up that challenge uh, and asked uh, Open Theatre Company, which is the company that's at at the back of Shysters, Mm -hmm. if you like, to explore how to set up a a kind of training professional theatre company for actors with learning disabilities. So uh, we went round and recruited from local schools, colleges and so on, a, a group of about 20... Uh, people with learning disabilities between the age of about 16 and 25. We worked with them for two weeks. Out of that pulled out a group of 10 who would, uh, in the end, formed the basis of the shysters. The rest of them were fed into Fountain Theatre Company, so they carried on working. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really how it how it all came about. Um, and it it was just like sessional work to begin with. And after after we created our first piece, which was called Scary Antics, uh, which was about a year and a half later. Uh, no, in f- yes, no, we did we did it. That's it. We did it. And then we went to the Arts Council and said, "Can we have some money to take it on tour?" 
and uh, we got that. And then from then, the Arts Council began to fund us a, a bit more regularly. <coughs> Until now, we're at the stage where we're what they call an RFO, a regularly funded organisation. Talking about the Arts Council for a second, you've obviously seen a lot of changes in the funding systems over that period of time. Mm -hmm. Have they been for the better or for the worst? <laughs> Depends who's listening, really, doesn't it? <laughs> There's no one from the Arts Council listening. Um, <coughs> I, I only ask that because in between those periods, the Arts Council's budgets, for example, have become unimaginable compared to what they were before the lottery. Yes. And sure. so they've got more money than they've and, ever and had before. And theatre has had more money, yes. and we have reaped the benefits of that, definitely. So um, for, a, uh, for a long time, we were an open theatre company, worked on a shoestring, um, and even when we set the shysters up, it was still on a project basis um, until this kind of real release of money. And then uh, that's how we became the, the RFO. And our... our Core funding rose dramatically in that period as well. So uh, I have no complaints whatsoever about the arts funding for us because it, it's worked. But I think uh, the, the other side of that is that we've worked bloody hard to get where we've got. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not an overnight success in that sense. And do you feel absolutely secure? <clears throat> At the moment, yes. But I have a... And I don't know if Sue and Cathy talked about this because we were talking about it yesterday. We have a kind of sort of um, easygoing attitude about safety in that sense, in that uh, not everything lasts forever. So let's just make the most of what we've got at the moment. So most things you've set up last forever. Yes, but other people so, carry them. And that's good. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. yeah, but we've got another... We're, we've been given another three years' funding and, you know, we've got three years to do something that we r all really want to do. Is that enough or do you think they should have five, ten-year plans for, for very key specific organisations such as the Shysters, who are kind of like a leading kind of example, benchmark across the country for what it does, yeah? Um. I've got to, uh, if you if you're talking about somewhere like the Birmingham Rep, for example, then I think that does need that sort of security to plan ahead. I think what's exciting for us is that we continually reinvent ourselves, and that process of reinventing is is um, invigorating. Invigorating. That's a good word. It's invigorating, um, but it's a challenge as well, and it's to say. We have to keep saying, do we really justify this amount of money now? Because, uh, uh, and it's because we're doing this, this and this. So the challenge of having to, to say, okay, we've got three years, let's see what we can do. And at the end of that three years, we're going to have to go, right, okay, what are we doing now? Do we really justify this money now? And I think that's really important because we've never, uh, I think what's deathly is when you get into the trap of repeating things, of doing things to a formula and... I think what what I hope the Arts Council recognised about us is that we are able to to continually change and develop and grow. So, and that's a, you know we're in a great s period of change in that sense now, uh, very exciting uh, and and so on. But you know we're questioning things. We're asking what is it that's at core of what we do? Are we a theatre company now, or are we something different? Uh, and all of those things that 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 are really important to to talk about and. And be sure about what you're doing. So you don't get into this, we're, oh, we're going to produce two plays a year sort of syndrome. 
which is fine for someone like the rep where you need that. But we're not like that. We're mm. a different mm. sort of organisation. And how have attitudes changed <coughs> to what you've been doing over the last 20 years? <laughs> <laughs> Both from kind of like the public and, and funders and the like, the arts culture, to use a... Uh, um, there's a lot in there, isn't there, to pull out? <laughs> Because what Start I want to say, want. what I want to say, is that things have improved incredibly, and maybe they have on some levels, but I still think uh, it's very unusual. It's like when we were talking earlier to put the phrase "create" or the word "creativity" and "learning disability" together is actually um, enormously difficult for most people they don't necessarily ever think about putting those two two things the two concepts together and i think that for me was the clearest when we did we've just done a production of pinocchio in collaboration with york theater royal which had uh two actors from the shysters two from full body in the voice who are based in huddersfield and three actors from york so it was a mix of four actors with learning disabilities and four with uh, three without and uh, we just, I just realised that there were still thousands and thousands of people out there who just couldn't get their heads around actors with learning disabilities being on stage. Um, and that's quite sad, really, that 25 years down the line, which is, for me, how long it's been, there's still... Uh, I mean, prejudice is maybe too strong a word, but there's still assumptions and perceptions that don't allow people to see what's really going on. In, in the sense, sense of creativity. In yeah, in and in, uh, we took Tango, which was uh, a show we did about four years ago. We took it to London to the Bloomsbury Theatre after being in Edinburgh for two weeks. In Edinburgh, we had a great time. The bizarre thing is that London audiences, and we didn't get hardly any London audiences, London audiences found it more difficult to understand that a woman with Down syndrome can experience love, deep love, which is what we were trying to portray in that show. They couldn't, it was like they couldn't compute the the notion of a, a woman with Down syndrome on stage displaying love. Uh, so therefore they couldn't connect with it. And why was that? Because what was your people, for people with Down syndrome don't have deep feelings like that. They don't know what love's about because we don't allow them to, to but, have those. But don't you think <clears throat> society's view towards people with learning disability has changed in the last 10 years? Yes. Given that they are now being eradicated and not coming through the system like they used to through medical advances and all that kind of thing. And society has that has a problem in dealing with those two things. On the one hand, it wants absolute equality, and on the other hand, it wants absolute eradication of particular groups, like people with Down syndrome. Mm. You know, you're talking about 95% termination, eradication. Yeah. That's going to get bigger. Same with other kind of learning disabilities and physical impairments, like spina bifida, yeah. like oh, I've yeah. got. You're going to have a problem there, because that's going to get worse. Yeah, so it's going to be more difficult to... So I, I would my argument would have been, it's not that they couldn't it's that they don't want to see that because that undermines this process this medical social process on the one hand with this kind of practicing of equality yeah. and validation you've got a massive contradiction in that which is what makes 
culture to me interesting because culture is where those two things come together mm, mm. and rub up against one yeah, another. I can see your point there. I hadn't quite seen it as starkly as that, I suppose. Um, I'd I'd seen it from where I come from, which is people's attitude. I mean, my when I first went into Perryfields, I was, uh, I don't know if I can say the word, scared <laughs> about going in there because I had no idea what it was like. Um, but within an hour, I was having a great time. Um, but I do remember that feeling, and I always go say to people, whoever, um, you know, that's a process that you go through, mm. which is fine. Don't get stuck. <laughs> get through that process. Get through that. Um, so that's where I was coming from with that. But seeing it from that point of view, yeah, I mean, I can understand what you're saying. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I just made me think. Actually, it made me think. <clears throat> Definitely. Uh, so I've, I've written down something here. Uh, well, I've written it outsiders' views. So as audiences, how have you seen audiences evolve and develop? Apart from the London example, yeah. Have they have they become accustomed to it? Is Coventry different from everywhere else? Coventry. Well, I think uh, like any any organisation or company or group of people that stays somewhere for a long period of time, you inevitably get a group of people who begin to understand what you're doing. You have loyal uh, followers, if you like, whatever the word, words are. So the fact that the shysters are in Coventry means that we have a, a more secure audience base, if you like, there. And one of the reasons why we stopped touring was because we wanted to find more effective ways of getting to more people. Because going on tour, you don't have the opportunity, you don't have the reputation, you don't have the, the kind of hooks that will bring audiences in just to see what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Because the minute uh, there's a sniff of learning disability, people won't come. Um, and at, at a conference... Uh, last year in Huddersfield I said I would anyone in this audience please put your hands up if you have ever thought oh there's a show that, that's got actors with learning disabilities on I really want to go and see that okay and it, that's still true today there are I, I don't um, nobody put their hand up there's not many people in this country who would go wow I really want to go and see that. They're just honest folk in Yorkshire. Honest folk in Yorkshire, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's part of the 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 thing about audience. So so what Kathy and Sue are doing now, which I think is really important and uh was kind of what I might have wanted to do if I had the right talent and whatever is develop film work more because I think you can get out to a lot more people a lot more quickly and more effectively and you get over that barrier. And what Better. about what about you and film? Do you want to get into film? I know Kathy and Sue are doing that. What about you? Um, Do you use no? That I think it's, it's one of those fantasies. Like one, you know, you, I used to think I liked to be an actor or a dancer or a singer or whatever, and you just think, well, that's lovely, but it's not for me. I, because my uh, my strength is in this face face to face interaction with people. That's where I get. The buzz where I think I achieve the most is it's not through a medium it's mm. simply by being in a room with people mm. and, uh, and so why is why is theater stroke creativity a good tool in what you do <laughs> <laughs> easy, questions. Some easy questions because why is it, it because 
in some strange way, uh, through the artifice of theatre, I, I think you can touch your own humanity better. Goodness me, and you said I was deep. What do you mean by that? Unpack. <laughs> As, as, as my my supervisors used to say to me, unpack, Pack, unpack that. What do I mean by that? <laughs> um, I, I. Well, let's let me tell. Yeah. What's your view of humanity? In touch with their own humanity. Well, it's what, going back to, to who you are as an individual. I think you can you can access parts of yourself in a theatre making process. And you say there's as good things or bad things or a mix. As, as that humanity uh, it depends on your view of what's good and bad really doesn't it because uh, you touch on all sorts of things you can touch on deep seated anger or um, pain or, or whatever and it's whether you see those things as being part of the mix of life or whether those are things that you need to avoid or deal with and put away and uh, I think I've always, no I haven't always I've learned to understand that a human being is made up of everything that they are and that even though there are some difficult things in life you still have to engage with those things as well as the really good i mean we have a lot of fun with what we do <laughs> <laughs> and, and so do you only work with disabled groups now do you work with other groups as well at open theater um prime uh, the, the it, open theater specialized in the past 10 years in learning disability and uh, I still go out and consult on other things, sort of thing. But the, for me, it's it's the heart of of what we do, uh, and particularly for me at the moment, is the special school work. And have you seen a change in people's ability to engage in that creative process? Has that changed at all? Are people more open to it, willing for it, happy f to indulge in it, or, or, or do they fight it more? What have, what have you sensed? Uh, with people with learning disabilities, I think there's a there's a, a growing openness to this sort of work, and I think in schools in particular now there is a slow turning of the tide away from targets and measurements and evaluation and writing things down and boxing things up to going back. Dare I say to the a fair while ago, going forward to the to to coming uh, full circle. Coming full circle. That's a good way of putting it. To um, realizing that uh, on a very simple level, the teacher I work with mainly in in um, Coventry and Deedmore School says you cannot teach an unhappy child, and and that's a very simple statement. But you cannot teach a child who who is not at ease with themselves, who doesn't know themselves doesn't know how to interact in the world you cannot teach a child like that so what creativity about is about is, is exploring and releasing and expressing all those things so coming on to the work in special schools yeah uh, most people i know are against special schools you know the kind of yeah. politicized disability groups mm. that i know and have come from yeah, sure i i don't per se have a problem with special schools because i think i went to a special school and it's Although it was a crap school and they didn't educate me, that it's why I who I am. Yeah, I think if uh, I'd have yes. gone to a mainstream, I went to a public school, <laughs> and that's why I am who I am. And I think if I'd have gone to a mainstream school, I'd have been a very dull individual indeed, yes. much yes. like yourself, probably. Yeah, yeah. What dull? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd gone to a comprehensive, not that they had me nowadays, no, no. but uh, uh, <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so, what was I asking? 
Um, special schools. Special schools. And, and what's the kind of ethos that you like about special schools that now you work in with them? Um, what the, do they offer? The, yeah, the, 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 the heart of what I do is working with individuals within the context of a group, obviously. But um, I need, in order to do the work I do, I need to get to know who each child is. If you have a huge range of children in a room, then that task becomes much more difficult. Uh, so special schools are small classes for a start off um, and the the range I suppose of children you have is less huge mm-hmm. so you you have that um, and but also it's it 's about that thing of being it 's the off the wall quality that I really love where <coughs> where your expectations are continually confounded. Um, Can you give us an example? Yeah, I was thinking about this um, in the bathroom the other day <laughs> about because uh, there's a very um, visual thing that I do when I try and demonstrate this. Because how, how can you say what's off the wall creativity? There's a very simple exercise that I do, which is about clapping, and you clap your hands and touch your head, clap your hand, touch your head, clap your hand, touch your shoulder, clap your hand, touch your shoulder, clap your hand, touch your stomach, and so on, knees and feet. It's a, just a very physical exercise, and um, one of the kids in this. Uh, uh, in Deedmore said, well, we did this once, and he put his hand up and said, can I do that backwards, please? And I said, yeah, that's fine, do it backwards if you like. In my head, what he was going to do was clap, touch his foot, clap, touch his foot, clap, touch his knee, clap, touch his knee, clap, touch his stomach. In other words, do the, the sequence backwards. Mm-hmm. What he did was clap, touch the back of his head, clap, touch the back of his head, clap, touch the back of his shoulder. That is backwards for him. Okay, so completely in a different place then. And what that did was that we then spent 45 minutes, this class of 25, because we brought two classes together, we spent 45 minutes inventing different ways to play that game, which I never would have dreamt were possible by myself. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what happens in this sort of situation. And that's a very simple example about a very simple exercise, but there are lots of other things that c- I could... Ex- if we had time, explain about what you can create in a room uh, beyond your expectations mm. when you're working in this this area. And you said earlier that they were it was exciting and inspirational. Yeah, uh, which I said was an oxymoron combined with the word special school. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that was my own view coming yes. through there. I, I, explain that's that's an example of how they're inspirational, yeah. is it? And what? How else is it uh, a kind of challenge for you? Aren't you a bit bored? You've been doing this for a long time. Doing it for, no, no, because I need, I need, <laughs> I need to be inspired and excited, because uh, I don't, uh, I, d- I suppose I don't, I don't believe that uh, you can be creative on your own. I suppose that I, I have to be creative with other people. If I sit in a room on my own, I get bored or, or, or whatever. The, the joy for me is, is literally going into the room and having nothing in your head and by the end of the day you've created something amazing because you've just allowed things to happen and it's that that thought that you're you are the means by which things happened rather than the the Mm. thing that makes it happen that you you allow things to happen and um so on so and that that connects with me is why i keep doing it is because 
it's about continual the mm. need to continually continually mm. express yourself continually find ways of doing things you don't just solve that problem so so this uh, uh, work in the special schools does it end up with a product at the end a yeah we've done uh, the it's very difficult because you get you get caught in the trap of the school play uh, and because people see you as the drama person they expect you to put the play on and so there's quite a lot of dialogue about actually the the play is just a, a, a snapshot or a moment in a process. It's not the thing that you're doing. But at the same time, what uh, I'm trying to learn about, I think, is what are the benefits of performing that you don't get from just working in a room together. Um, and... Uh, some of those are about the commitment and the dedication to getting it right, to working together, to pulling together. All those sort of corny old things about theatre, the show must go on sense. And that, that's a trite old thing. But there is that thing that if you, if you really pull out the stops, you maybe get somewhere that you wouldn't get mm. for yourself that if you just thought, oh, it doesn't really matter if I do this or not. Mm -hmm. um, and again, a very clear example of that was that was uh, one child who, two days before we, were, we did our first show, which was after two years of working in the school, we did our first show, um, Joshua said, oh, I don't want to do this. Uh, so I said, okay, I'll find someone else to do it, Joshua, then, because on two days' time, we have to do this in front of an audience. I said, no, I don't want to do it. I said, well, okay, just try it once more. If you don't want to do it, then I'll find someone else. And we've had this dialogue. And because of that dialogue, he then pulled out the stops. He learned a lot about himself and what he could do. And, uh, you know, we've built on that relationship sen since then. If, if we hadn't had the pressure of performance, I don't know that I'd have challenged him mm. as much mm. in a good way. Notions of quality. <laughs> <laughs> do they apply to what you do? Yes. <laughs> in what way and um, are they different notions of quality e yes of course they're 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 the same and they're different as always <laughs> that's a good <laughs> phrase isn't it um the 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 quality for me uh, i mean if you're talking about process that's completely different quality of process is completely different to quality of performance or product or whatever you're talking about the quality of process uh, I think is much easier to talk about because it, it's about the communication, the interaction, uh, and the, the qualities of those sort of things about what you're trying to be to achieve. So, mm -hmm. quality is also about being very clear about what you're aiming to achieve uh, when you're working with people. Um, <coughs> so, and and some of that is very subtle uh, and not necessarily in accordance with what a teacher might think is the quality of an of an interaction. But those things are easier to talk about. Quality of performance, I think, is much more difficult um, because uh, it's, that's a lot about perceptions and so on. For me, theatre is essentially an act of communication. And if the communication is not effective, then it's not good quality. Now, that doesn't mean it has to be polished or uh, the set has to be brilliant or whatever. Those things are appropriate sometimes but not always um, in a situation like at school for me the most important thing is that the children understand that they are communicating something to an audience and that they're doing that well and if that works that's brilliant um, 
another uh, really good example for me that I try and use to un- to to talk about quality is um, there's a guy in our company called Alan who's uh, I've known Alan maybe 15 years. He's a wonderful guy. He's incredibly loud. Okay, he's got a big voice, and uh, we used to meet in the Belgrade Cafe, and everybody in the cafe would know that Alan was there. And one day I, was, I walked into the Belgrade and I was probably 100 yards away from Alan and Alan, Alan was shouting his head off at me saying, hello, Richard, how are you? And I was walking down past loads of people and we, I, we had a big hug in the cafe and then we just started talking and um, having a great chat. I don't know what we were talking about, but we were having a good chat about something. Um, but it wasn't something I was logically understanding. It, we were just having a good chat. And then I stopped because I realised that everybody in the cafe was watching us. And I flipped out of this involvement with Alan to thinking, oh, my God, everybody in this room thinks we're both barking mad. Um, And then I thought, why? And then I went back and carried on chatting with Alan. Uh, And for me, that's what the theatre is about that we're doing, is do, do we have to adapt the way we want to interact to suit an audience or do we have to find ways to allow the audience into the way we're interacting so the quality issues for me are around how well we bring people into another world if you like a different a world maybe too big a notion but into an, a different place to where they might expect to be so so do you need an educated audience to appreciate what you're doing um that's interesting again. That's another question because <laughs> I try and come up with edu- no, no, no. educated audience are often the worst audiences because uh, they're educated to expect certain kinds of theatre, and often when we've performed, the people who've really loved what we're we've done are the people who've never been to theatre before. Mm. And so, in in that sense, you don't need to educate the audience. You need to uneducate the audience, <laughs> <laughs> if you like. <laughs> to uh, yeah educate them in a different way yeah so we've got about a minute and a half before the news but we're going to come right. back after uh how how positive have the belgrade been towards all of this um especially the in the early course. days uh, incredibly supportive and wonderful at the moment um the belgrade's been through a huge change and uh and we've also grown up and been we've become independent so the links aren't as as vital as they were. I mean, we still have a, a reasonably good relationship with them, but we're we're doing different things and they're doing different things. So mm. it's a kind of mm. a natural progression away, if you mm. like. And that's not a problem. That's the that's the way it goes. And and I think one of the biggest things was cutting for us cutting the ties with the Belgrade because it was like going, well, here we are. We are independent. We can survive mm. on our own. Um, and that was. That was roughly around the time we got this kind of secure funding as well. So, um, yeah. So you're pretty secure funding-wise for three years to come. Yeah. So. Excellent. In the studio with us, we've got Richard Hayhow, uh, legendary in the region, as I keep saying, for uh, setting up the shysters. And uh, they're a greatly admired organisation. So let's talk a bit about you. Go on, then. What do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Uh, you mean when I'm not... Working with the shysters or working in schools? Absolutely. Um, well, I have a rather large family, which mm. take up a lot of time. As in lots of children? Yeah. We, we've, uh, Jane and I have got seven children, which we um, 
fostered uh, and we now got seven grandchildren so they take up a fair bit of time um i uh i don't what do i do um Gardening. Gardening. <laughs> Gardening. Isn't that awful? <laughs> <laughs> Landscaping. We've got quite a big, we've got about three quarters of an acre of land and I love getting out there and digging it up and changing it around and that kind of stuff. Not much lawn, I hope? Or have you got a big lawn to play football on? No, we used to have a big lawn, but it's gradually getting encroached by all the things I'm putting in it. <laughs> uh, but we've got livestock as well. So we've got pigs and goats and Indeed. sheep. Indeed. On a, on a horses, three quarters of an acre? Uh we rent a field next door and we've got ducks and chickens and stuff like that. So Which you eat? No. You don't we eat the eggs. But we they're no, they're all pets. You let you let them die Liberal a natural death. Hippie, you see. <laughs> Still there. <laughs> oh goodness me, yeah. that's sad. <laughs> sad. Thank you very much. <laughs> and do you travel and things like that or what? Um you just stay at the homestead. I uh, Jane travels a lot more than me at the moment because of her work. She she goes abroad a fair bit. But what does I'm, she do? She runs. Uh, she used to work at the Belgrade. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let that one out. Uh, but she now runs her own company called Imagineer Productions, based in Coventry. Theatre group, or what? Uh, they're an events company. They organise huge events. Like um, she did the opening ceremony for the Children's Olympics in Coventry a couple of years ago. Does big uh, carnival, which is happening this Saturday in Coventry. Uh, plus, she produces theatre as well. So, oh, yeah. And so why are you into livestock? Did you grow up with that, or was it, is it your wife? Uh, Not Jane, many people think, we started, I want livestock. We started with one small pony, yeah, and then we had to get two goats to keep the, the pony happy, <laughs> and it kind of spread from there. <laughs> oh, goodness so, yeah. me. Things just develop. So, what? How do you view yourself? What? What? All this, all that you've said, and and you know, do you view yourself as a kind of hippie sixties kind of lefty liberal softy, or is, um, do you see yourself I'm, more sophisticated than that? Explain I would it. hope I'm more sophisticated. Well, than obviously, that, I'm, I'm being a bit <laughs> a bit facetious, but, but how do you? I don't mind if people think that of me. <laughs> so, how um, do you see yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to remember a quote that somebody once said about me. Um, <laughs> Keep it clean. Yeah, no, 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 which was about he can have murder in his eyes and a sweet smile on his face. <laughs> Obviously an actor who you worked with. <laughs> no, it was an old sea dog. I did a community play in Bridlington, and this guy, he'd been out at sea most of his life, um, he pl- he'd never acted before in his life, and he played the... I don't know, the captain of a ship or something in this play, and uh, he said, you can have murder mutilation in your eyes and a sweet smile on your lips. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, And your wife so, said, yes, that's captured your purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, so the sweet, hi- the, the hippie bit's there in the sweet smile on the lips, but there's... But there's a hardcore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's hardcore. a hardcore. <laughs> there's a hardcore of ambition and achievement there. Uh, achievement. I don't know if I'm ambitious, but I like a sense of achievement. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't. I, I don't have. You know, I don't want to be a famous director. I don't want to be. I just want to have a really good sense of achievement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, what about the next five, ten years? Where do you want to be? On a um, bigger homestead? On a bit, yeah. I want to. <laughs> no, no, smaller. It's too many. They keep breeding, unfortunately. Um, I, to tell you the truth, I don't know. The next three years, I know I'm committed to working in, in um, Deedmore, uh, and I really want to see where that goes. But I, I suppose I also want 
somehow to transmit a bit more about what the shysters have been about, what the way we work has been about, and and that that thing about creativity being at, for me at the heart of who we are, and to get that message across a bit more, I suppose. And so, how might you do that? How do you want to transmit? How that do I want message? to transmit that? Um, partly by just uh, doing the work and getting more people involved in doing the work, but also by being able to talk more effectively about it. Because sometimes you, when you talk about creativity, you do come over as a lefty liberal <laughs> hippie. So it's finding the words. But that there's are, nothing wrong in being any of those. No, no. But well, there's, there is some prejudice <laughs> against people. Indeed. So it's finding the the hard evidence or the hard sell on that so, that so do i sense a book well i fancy that i've co-written a book with um john palmer who used to run full body in the voice which is the company we collaborated with york we have written a book about uh working with actors with learning disabilities uh which we're about to self-publish um so it's about to come out it's about to come out yes well, you'll have to send us a copy and I, we can promote it. I will do. Uh, and I have just started writing articles and stuff. A bit went to a conference and wrote up a paper for that. Um, but I would also like to write... Uh, um, a book is, is not maybe the right word, but write about the work that we're doing at Deedmore and explain w what is going on there. So a move into academia is <coughs> a possibility no, for you? No, because I know I'd dry up. <laughs> That's no, no reflection on anyone else. That was what would happen to me because I think uh, I'm a very practical person. If I stop practising, I'd stop. <laughs> mm. uh, so it's a balance between the two, I think, at the moment. And so the book, tell us a bit about the book. It's called Working with Actors with Learning Disabilities. No. What's it called? It's called... That's what I've written down. What's it called? I've, to tell you the truth, I think it's called uh, Learning Disability in Contemporary Theatre or Contemporary Theatre and Learning Disability. Are you sure you don't want to be an academic? <laughs> <laughs> it's aimed... At, it's it funny because above it I've got Scary Antics, which would be a wonderful antics. title for it. Well, with uh, the subtitle. Well, the, yeah, except that's not trendy now to use. Because uh, we were going to call it Dancing with the Elephant um, because that was a very contentious title and I like to kind of be a bit contentious but people say oh no that's all 90s now we're in the <laughs> noughties or whatever and that doesn't work anymore you have to use different kinds of titles so uh, and I know there's a book by uh, uh, what's her name Petter Kapoor who, who did one about contemporary theatre and disability Petra Kruppers Petra yeah um, so we were kind of going along that line of thinking this is where this needs to be placed if you like um, but but it's a semi semi practical book in in that it's not a handbook it's not a DIY manual about how to do it but it it's it's about the rationale behind mm. the work if you like that allows you to do the work better. And how was it writing in collaboration with John Palmer? I got that right, didn't I? Yeah, John Palmer. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Uh, but <laughs> neither John nor I are the most articulate people in terms of. Uh, writing formally writing and so what in the end uh we did was uh, we had an arts council grant through full body invoice that enabled us to employ a um 
what would you call it? Uh, she, it wasn't a editor. Ghost, yeah, an editor, but not a ghostwriter. But she, we we wrote loads and loads of stuff, and then she took it and shaped it, and r- kind of wrote it better than us, sent it back to us, and we commented and so on. So it was a quite a, a good. Did she process. get credit? She, interestingly enough, said she didn't want a credit. Mm, right. I know we were saying you've got to have a credit because you've done so much, mm-hmm. but she said no, I don't want to. So That's very good. That's very good of her. Yeah. So it was a very interesting process, but I think it. Are you going to do it again? Yeah, I'd love to do it again because I think uh, learning how to write in that sense is a bit of a, an art, artistic process in itself. So I, I think I've understood the process better about how to go about it, mm. which isn't that you sit down and start writing the first word and carry on until you get to the end. <laughs> That's a different sort of process involved. Well, in a way, the writing's the last bit. <laughs> yeah. It's yes. developing the structure, yeah. the ideas, and yeah. all of that kind of yeah. thing. And then the yeah. last bit is And not being afraid to start in the middle and just pull something out mm. and, and leave mm. it and then go somewhere else and then eventually get round to, mm. to shaping the whole thing. And so, so when is the book out? Um, we're just looking at the cover design at the moment and um, it could be within a couple of months. And who's your market? Who's my market? Um, other drama practitioners, people who want to do this kind of work, people who are already doing it and maybe want to kind of uh, explore their their thinking about it. Um, academics, I suppose, on some level. Um, it's interesting that we sent it to a couple of universities and they, they sent it back saying, I really enjoyed reading it, but we don't want to publish it. And that was a really puzzling statement. Did they give you a logic for that? Um, maybe, I, I think it because it didn't fit into any of their categories. Mm. Uh, and that's part of the problem about the book that we've written is that we wrote it about what we wanted to write rather than thinking, okay, it's going to be this kind of book. Um, because we we felt that wouldn't achieve what we wanted to to achieve. So we've kind of taken a bit of a risk with that, which is why we're going down the self-publishing route in the end. So what's the unfulfilled ambition or achievement, as you don't like ambition? (laughs) (laughs) Who said there was an unfulfilled ambition? No, no, there must... You know, what do you you want to do that you haven't done? Um, Because you seem to have done it all pretty well. You're pretty comprehensive, you know, in what you've done. Which is impressive. Thank you. Um, I'd the the way I look at it is um, how can I put this? Working with the, with children in a special school has uh, made me realise it, it. It's a bit like that old cliche of the Jesuits that give me a child before the age of seven and he's mine forever. I don't mean it like that at all, but there is something desperately important about opening doors uh, to children of that age. Uh, And if I look back, then um, the work that I've done has got easier, partly because attitudes to learning disability have changed um, over the years, but also because I've steadily worked with younger age groups. uh, And... I feel on some levels that the doors that I've opened in three years for six, seven, eight, nine-year-old children have uh, have been almost as big doors that have been opened for the shysters over ten years. Now, that's a hugely ridiculous thing to be saying, but there's something about that for me that's really important, that, that to be able to... Um, 
uh, you, you can't say these words without getting into sort of traps, can you? Like influence people's lives and all those kind of things. But but to to make really important connections with other people with children of that age, I just cannot describe the joy there is in seeing those kids find something so wonderful in their lives because of this work and that sounds grandiose as well but it, it's that, that's what drives me is the joy of working with people and and with with those children it's just uh, is to you know just little moments we talk in in um, in the school we talk about um priceless moments and that could be as simple as one child putting his arm around another because he's upset and you go isn't that priceless and those are the sort of things that that really motivate me to carry on doing the work. And so are those the things that are lacking in mainstream schools? Yeah. That lead yes. to the problems that we have in contemporary society? Oh, fuck. Just of course yes. they are. Just say no. yes. Yes. The, in some ways, yes. Well, I think and, they are. So. And it is because, you know, on some very simple level, we this is the education system, which is very narrow, and it needs to be ten times broader. Mm. And, uh, but then you'd have kids thinking. Can't and that's that. no, that's wonderful. We that's can't exactly have that. where it should be. Exactly. <laughs> that's against that, government policy. That's, that's against government well, policy. Well, I don't give a sh- I don't care about that <laughs> because the, the 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 old community arts argument about empowering people, um, em- empowering people. Which, if you accept that notion that as a community arts worker you go in to empower people, you empower people to do what they want to do, not what you want them to do. And that's 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 the exciting thing, and that's the unpredictable thing as well. Is that you, is if you give, if you're the means by which people find a voice, you cannot dictate what that voice says. You're just the means by which they find their voice, um, and that's I think that's it's dangerous, and you don't know sometimes what you're giving voice to. It's very but, dangerous, but. Um, we can't have young people thinking. <laughs> That's not the policy of the government. young people with learning Absolutely. Yeah, they don't. Well, I know you've got to go, yeah. but oh. if uh, when the book comes out, if you and John Palmer want to come on the show again, yeah, we could do a little podcast for you to download from your website with the book. Brilliant. A little Sounds talk great. about it. Yeah, I'll uh, talk to John And I'll read that. the book and then we can uh, talk, talk about, about that. that. Yeah. In a lengthy discussion. Hopefully with John that would be good, I think. Yeah, he'd have so. to come down from Huddersfield. I'm, I presume he travels occasionally. He does, yeah. yeah. No, it's on, it's on the way to, to London, yeah. so... Mm. <laughs> we can, it doesn't have to be a Wednesday afternoon. That's true, yeah. So, uh, well, on that note, I'll just say thank you to Richard. Thank you.